The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're absolutely in the right place. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio coming to you live Wednesday, February 11, 2015. If you're keeping track, this is episode number 168. Woohoo! Interesting topic today. Insurance in the age of customer intimacy and the Internet of Things. A lot to talk about. So let's get started. The buzz on the street is the future of insurance with a question mark after that. According to a survey from SAP and the Economist Intelligence Unit, many of you know that is the EIU, longstanding insurance companies are struggling. They are really struggling. Why? They're trying to keep up with strong competition. It's not coming from each other. It's coming from other industries that are now able to offer advanced customer-consumer-facing insurance capabilities. That's a big threat. Can the traditional insurers as we know them survive? Well, it could all boil down to whether they embrace analytics. If they learn to incorporate data from M to M, that's machine to machine, and IoT, that's Internet of Things, a lot is on the table, a lot is at stake. We've assembled a panel, and a shout-out to SAP's Birgit Dolny for helping us put together this topic and great panel. Our experts are here to help us see what's going on in the insurance industry and what it will take for the players the longtime players to survive. First up on the panel, I'm very pleased to welcome Anthony O'Donnell. He is with Insurance Innovation Reporter. And Anthony sent me the following quote. Those of you who love Nova, well, here's a good one for you from the documentary Lost at Sea, The Search for Longitude. The quote is, this was an extraordinary change of direction. Now, Harrison was prepared to reject 25 years of his own work and move ahead on an almost untried technology, struggling to make smaller what he had always assumed should be made larger. Boy, I think there's a parable in there. Anthony O'Donnell, welcome. How are you today? Hi, Bonnie. Doing great. How are you? Good. You sound good, loud and clear. Thank you. <laughs> Anthony, interesting. Are you a big Nova fan? Tell me where this came from. I, it's not that I'm such a big Nova fan, though uh, I, I, guess I, I guess I am. It's just that uh, as I've been thinking about these issues with the insurance industry, this episode kept coming back to my mind. And, and it's, it's, a, it's an instance where this man who was devoted to winning the Longitude Prize back in the early 18th century had been uh, coming up with various solutions, and he had acquired amazing capabilities. And uh, to make a long story short... His solutions tended to be these very big uh, clocks that were that were built with his knowledge of uh, of timekeeping, of gears, of metallurgy. That the man devoted his life to being able to build these things, 
and they were they were massive objects as they as they developed and the, the last one was maybe you know bigger than a man's trunk a very mm-hmm. large object and he discovered that there was a, there was an imperfection and that it just wouldn't do the job of of solving the problem of calculating longitude at sea and so he just threw the whole thing in the garbage and started again and instead mm. of having these massive machines he went to making what were essentially pocket watches and i think it is a parable i think it's an example that sometimes you're up against a change in the world or or a limit in your technology and you have to be ruthless with yourself as the as the authors of the documentary said about harrison you have to do what's going to work and that can be a painful transition and it can be, it can mean letting go of things that you've uh, you've you've believed were the way to go so anthony the big dilemma facing what we call the traditional insurers are they going to have to scrap the big plans and go for the pocket watch just a quick overview what do you see well, at the, ver- at the very least, they're going to have to rethink some of their strategies. They, they may very well have to uh, revisit their architecture. And I think there will be many aspects of their technology ecosystem, if you want to call it that, that they, they may mm-hmm. just have to junk. They may have to just say, you know what, this is just not the way to do it anymore. And that's tough for anybody to say, isn't it, Anthony, especially when you have invested. I interviewed on uh, my, my own radio show, my personal show the other night, the author of People Tools, Alan C. Fox, and he calls something sunk cost, S-U-N-K, sunk cost. When you've already paid for something, but you know what? It's really either not feeling good or it's just not working. He says, walk away and do something else. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. Thank you, Anthony. Good intro to our topic. Love the parable. Up next, I'm pleased to welcome Karen Furtado. She's a partner at Strategy Meets Action. Delighted to have Karen. We've had several of her colleagues on previous shows. And Karen sent me a very interesting quote from Bill Gates. Here we go. We always overestimate the change that will occur in the next two years, and we underestimate the change that will occur in the next 10. Don't let yourself be lulled into inaction. Great quote. Karen Furtado, welcome to Coffee Break. How are you? I'm doing great, Bonnie. How are you today? Wonderful. Thanks for joining me. Karen, interesting Bill Gates quote. And interestingly enough, we don't get a lot of quotes from Bill Gates on the show. We usually have people going farther back in history. So uh, this is a very interesting quote juxtaposing mm-hmm. what, what's coming up the pike, down the pike. Talk to me. How does this relate to our insurance topic? Yeah, so I think if we use an example, I, I always think it's best if we just go back, let's say, 10 years, just to give us perspective. Um, uh, 10 or 11 years ago, Facebook was at approximately five or so colleges, five or so colleges. Uh, the most recent statistic on Facebook users is 1.23 billion users. I am sure 10 years ago, we all lofted off as, oh, my God, it's just another fad. It will pass its time. And yet today we're talking about what will be the next iteration of it, where will it go from here, what's going to be its next innovation. So social media is a great example. Social media just did not really exist 10 years ago. And we were talking a lot about it. This is going to make a difference in how people communicate. And Mm -hmm. people shugged it off two years like, oh, yeah, look, at it's only a few universities. We're not going to worry about that. That's going to be for the college kids. 
I think the most users in Facebook. Honestly, I get more updates from my mother than I get from <laughs> almost anyone else. So if we take that back into the insurance industry. Ten years ago, paper, paper everywhere. If you went into almost any claims operation, they were the paper-intensive group. Now, in 10 years, we talked, I was speaking at a conference, pulled the group and said, how many of you are going to be used imaging and workflow in the next two years? Of a group of 60 people, two raised their hand. Nowadays, you go into an insurance company. If they're not doing imaging and workflow as the basic fundamentals of what they're doing, then they really are behind the times. And so, you know, to me, any technology we talk about will have its time, and I think we often will be lulled into action, inaction, not understanding its impact. So in your introduction, you talked about the use of machine-to-mean, machine-to-machine. We talked about the use of data and analytics. Um, people will say, you know, over the past couple of years, there hasn't been tremendous improvement or change in this area. I guarantee you, you go out 10 years, it will transform the way we make decisions in insurance today. So just a couple examples. I think that it's never more so we add a changing time in insurance. Thank you, Karen. Great insights. And I just want to ask you to relate the second part of the the first sentence, second part of this quote, to uh, also part of my intro. I said that, that insurers, traditional insurers, are facing strong competition from other industries. So the question is, did they underestimate the change that will occur in the next 10 years, 10 years ago, and didn't see this coming? Are they blindsided by products that are what we're talking about, the age of customer intimacy, from non-insurers? Karen, just quickly, what do you mm-hmm. see? Yeah, I think for for the non-insurer entrant into our market, um, honestly, in the U.S., I think we we felt like we it's almost like a bubble. Like you know, insurance is so traditional. These will be the way we deploy our products. Here are the type of um, aspects we'll insure. I think that outside the industry view has shaken the insurance industry. Some are standing up and taking notice to understand we will insure different products in the future. We will have different products, and the way our services are delivered and the competition has changed. I do believe there's been a lot of underestimating of these aggregators, such as Google and Amazon, in our markets today. Thank you, Karen. That's what I wanted to know. Great points. And let's welcome our third panelist. It's Hugh Anderson, Senior Principal in the Insurance Industry Value Engineering Practice. That's a big business card, Hugh, at SAP. And Hugh has sent me a quote from Mark Sanborn. Those of you unfamiliar, Mark Sanborn is the president of Sanborn & Associates, an idea studio dedicated to developing leaders in business and life. He's an international best-selling author. I'll let you go look him up on Wikipedia. Here's the quote from Mark Sanborn. Your success in life isn't based on your ability to simply change. It is based on your ability to change faster than your competition, your customers, and business. Welcome, Hugh Anderson. How are you today? I'm fine, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. It's great to be with you and with two of my favorite colleagues in the industry. Wonder, I'm glad it's a happy party. So, Hugh, talk to me. Interesting quote. You picked Mark Sanborn. I noticed he's an expert on leadership, team building, customer service, and change. Uh, would Does he know anything about the insurance industry? Or are we, are we going to relate this topic directly to insurance through your use of the quote? Well, I, I, uh, I do believe that um, many of the topics we're talking about today and where we are in the insurance industry does lend itself very well to this quote. And, and this comes from um, a particular work that Mark did uh, around new ideas to keep delivering 
extraordinary results. And, and that's mm. exactly what the insurance industry needs. And when I think about this quote, uh, I go back to, you know, even when I was a kid and, and, and my parents would always say, um, you know, if you're not getting the straight A's, somebody else is. You know, if you're not applying to the, the best schools, somebody else is. And if you're not going for the best jobs, somebody else is. So there's always a competition that you need to, to get ahead of. Uh, and that's what struck me about this quote is it's easy for insurance companies to kind of do the same thing. It is a fairly tight-knit community. Uh, a, a lot of um, people move around within the insurance community, and it's it's difficult to break out of the pack, and it's easy to be complacent, and, and that's certainly not a knock, but as insurance companies make um, huge investments in their, their business and their infrastructure, you know, it, you got to get ahead of the curve. If you're not, if you're just staying the same, you're falling behind in life, certainly, and certainly as insurance companies um, address their technology needs. So, with what's happening today in, in the world of technology, uh, you got to stay ahead of the curve, not just keep up with it. There are no limits to what can be done, and and I do believe mm-hmm. um, some of the things that Karen you alluded to are, are going to change. In fact, the way not just insurance is bought and sold but actually how is it defined as a product. So uh, there are no limits, and, and it, this is, I thought, was a very good apropos uh, statement for this discussion. Very much agree. Uh, Hugh, interesting to me that, that I was saying the success in life isn't based on your ability to simply change, and we're talking here, uh, Karen mentioned this in my intro, we talked about learning to incorporate data from machine to machine and Internet of Things. So just saying for, for somebody, an insurance company, say to their, their manager, their CEO, look, we're now embracing M2M, we're now understanding what IoT is when we didn't even know what it was six months or two years ago, that's not enough. They have to look at the second part of our equation, which is where are the threats coming from, who is in Approaching on our territory, who's taking our customers, who's doing it better and faster. Am I right that it's a double-edged uh, threat or onslaught, Hugh? Yes, I do agree. I think that as insurance companies look to modernize their, their um, business architectures and, and their underlying technology, it, it tends to focus a little bit too much on replacing older systems with newer systems. And if you're doing that without thinking about these issues, about how powerful technology is now and how the na- very nature of insurance is changing, how insurance is, is bought and sold, how underwriting is done or is not done in, in certain cases because it's not necessary anymore, um, or uh, losses are predicted, for example. You could go on and on and on. Uh, you, you have to factor those things in. And what what is not just going to help you in your own uh, infrastructure, but how are the stakeholders in the business processes that touch that architecture going to be affected? So as a policy is created, as a bill is produced, as a claim is processed, as um, you know, an aggregator tries to take your business, what's important to those people out there who, regardless of how technology is, is changing things, they still need insurance. It's just the nature of... What is insurance? How do you predict and measure risk? And how do you make it fun and and enjoyable so that the people buying it will not only understand it, but embrace it and tell all their friends about it? 
Thank you very much. I think we tied all those threads up into a nice, neat package, and that gives us time right now for me to ask my three panelists, what's in your cup today? What are you drinking right now, or what do you plan to drink after the show? And this is simply because we want to get to know you a little bit better, and the title of our show you know is Coffee Break with Game Changers. So, Anthony O'Donnell, no pressure, but tell me a fabulous story about what you're drinking or what's going to happen to the cup after the show. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what. I'll put it in geographical context. Uh, I'm, I'm talking to you from Vancouver, USA, which is in the Portland, Oregon metropolitan area, and we're famous for three kinds of beverages here. One of them is wine, such as the uh, fabulous Pinot Noir made in the, the hills uh, southwest of Portland. Another one is, uh, is beer. This is the microbrewing capital of the, uh, of the country, of the continent. And the other thing is coffee. We have the best coffee in the nation here, and uh, it's, it took the world a long time to catch up with us. And since it's only, uh, what is it, just after 8 o'clock local, uh, there's coffee in my cup. <laughs> and what kind of coffee? I want to know more. Talk to me. Uh, I think it's Portland Brewers. And is it full caffeine, full, as I call it, high test? Are we drinking something uh, with a little bit of flavoring yeah, and, in it? Yeah, and if, and if I'm a little excitable today, it's because uh, I, I get up very early because I work on Eastern Time, and uh, I already had two cups of coffee, but I, I knew that we had to, have, I had to introduce this theme so I felt a uh, moral obligation to get a third cup. Well, I've, I'm glad you feel morally obligated. I've never had a guest say it quite that way. So thank you, Anthony. You certainly have expired. They don't let Bonnie, They don't let me have caffeine on radio show days. I wonder why. I think you and I have to talk. Karen, Karen Furtado, where are you and what are you drinking or what do you plan to drink? Talk to me. Oh, oh dear Lord. I, I, yeah, I don't think you need it. <laughs> I am drinking organic. Vanilla Rubus Parfait. It's a Tazo tea. I just absolutely love this tea, and probably for two reasons. When I go to Starbucks, I'll be honest, they used to carry this tea. And the mm-hmm. coffee was just too strong, and this is my fallback, and I travel all the time, and I can count on this tea. The second is no one can pronounce the name of this tea. Not a human. You, I went online to YouTube to make sure I had the pronunciation, and there's an argument in YouTube about how to pronounce the name of this tea. So I love these teas, and I've been converting more from coffee to tea because I do not need caffeine. This does not have caffeine. And you can get teas. I was up in Banff, Canada this summer at the Fairmont, and they kept serving me different teas. By the time I left the Fairmont, I had five boxes of teas. I stopped in customs on the way in. There was another tea store. You can find or get at least these great teas anywhere in the world. It's amazing where tea has come over the past few years. Well, I'm glad tea is in favor and in flavor. I just made that up, but it actually sounds pretty good. Thank you, Karen. Hugh Anderson, no pressure to top these two, but boy, did they have, I warned you, it just gets better and better. Hugh, what are you drinking or what do you plan to drink? Well, I want to make clear before I go into this, Bonnie, that I'm not drinking this now, but this is a great story I thought I'd share with everybody. Uh, <laughs> I think we know what's coming. Okay, at, at your own risk, you TMI is okay. Go ahead. Well, what I have in my virtual cup today is a tasting of late harvest red Zinfandel, and, and, and the, uh, mm. just bear with me for a second. I'll, I'll, I'll tee it up for you. Uh, many years ago, I had, had the, the great fortune of, with a friend, having a private showing at the Pump Jack Vineyards in Napa Valley, one of my favorite uh, wines. And uh, the owner, a man named Nils Vengi, uh, had us work with him and crush the grapes and 
do a little tasting, and you know, the, the food spread the whole bit. And towards the end of the day, he said, why don't you come with me? And we traveled a few miles down the road to an old vineyard he had just bought, where the cellars were you know, built into the hillside. And we, we sat on a porch, and he pulled out a rare private uh, late harvest zin. And uh, for those of you who may not be uh, um, understand what that means, it, it's just the grapes are riper, so it's just slightly sweeter than what you might think of as a, as a red zin. But before he even had us try it, he said, I want you all to reach over to that tree over here and pick off one of those ripe pears. So we each did, and we sat down on the, on the porch in the rocking chairs and you know, took a bite out of the pear and then took a little sip of this wine, and it was just a perfect end to the perfect day. And, and mm-hmm. as I think about it in terms of this, this uh, category, uh, it really wasn't about what was in the glass. It was a memorable experience, and I still talk about it today, and, and that's what we're trying to recreate in the insurance industry. I love it. Oh, my goodness. I think we need to go on a field trip, and we're just going to take a break. Let's all get in whatever conveyance we need and go to wherever Hugh was, and let's just sit around and talk about it and have a sip of this Red Zin. It sounds wonderful. Thank you, Hugh. You did not disappoint. Guess what? My three panelists have certainly worked hard to get us off the ground here with a great opening segment. We're talking today about insurance in an age of customer intimacy and Internet of Things. We haven't yet touched on the concept of the age of customer intimacy, but we're going to when we come back. Today I'm speaking with Anthony O'Donnell at the Insurance Innovation Reporter, Karen Furtado at Strategy Meets Action. Those of you on the inside can say that SMA, and Hugh Anderson in the Insurance Industry Value Engineering Practice at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We're going to take a quick break when we come back. We will start the roundtable with Anthony O'Donnell talking about what the landscape is right now, where it's come from, and a little bit about what the threats are, what the challenges are facing traditional insurers. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. Bread out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase, an SAP company, offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. 
Welcome back. The future of insurance in the age of customer intimacy and IoT, that's Internet of Things. If you've been hiding under a rock somewhere, we even have a special radio series called Internet of Things with Game Changers. So tune in if you want to know more. And that's this afternoon at 3 o'clock Eastern. So there's a little plug. Anthony O'Donnell on our panel is going to kick off the round table and we're going to start our conversation. Let me read a couple of points from Anthony's notes and then he can take it where he wants. He says, whatever the broader potential for change, insurers believe some of their most immediate challenges and opportunities stem from changing customer behavior. That's the first point. Second is about 42% of the insurers say the front office, that's the part of their operations that's nearest to the customer, is most vulnerable to disruption. Very interesting, provocative notes. Anthony, see if we can tie them together. Why don't you kick off our roundtable, please? Yeah, I mean, what what this says is that the, the way commerce is done, period, has been uh, inexorably altered by the consumerization of technology. So whereas insurance companies have traditionally done business a certain way, and they've, uh, they've had all this uh, back office technology that's evolved over the decades or centuries, they, uh, they are now faced with consumers who have more sophisticated technology than businesses used to have. Mm-hmm. And so commerce now is taking place on those terms, and insurers need to adapt to that. And that's why it's a matter of getting your front office in line. Now, the, diff- the difficulty is that the back office is not well-matched to the front office. So the, uh, the potential for disruption, then, is, is for uh, competition, both within the industry and external competition, to do a better job of reaching the customer and potentially owning the customer relationship. Anthony, let's put a little something on the table here in terms of customer intimacy. I don't know anybody who's happy to have to have insurance. I don't know anybody who's delighted to make that quarterly or annual or biannual payment. I don't know anybody who's bringing their insurance agent to dinner and say, wow, you should see the next, the 19 packages he just sold me. I am so well insured. It's a tough industry to begin with. It's a tough sell or is it? Just do a little level setting from your observation uh, and your post-it in Insurance Innovation Reporter. What do you see in terms of what customers even think about insurance today? Well, let me take the question a little, a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. I, I think that the consumerization of technology is a good thing for insurance. The, the, okay. the problem for insurers is they're, they're not ready to, to uh, do business in that manner. Now, as mm. you were just alluding to a moment ago, it's a tough conversation. It's a, it's a subject that people don't like. Uh, whether it's life insurance that causes people to think of their mortality or whether it's car insurance that is, uh, you know, you're basically paying for nothing and just hoping you, know, you, don't, you don't get a claim. So what fun is that, right? But mm-hmm. what, what this uh, consumerization of technology enables is for the setup of conversations that might not uh, have otherwise happened. It provides an occasion for customer engagement. Okay. Karen Furtado, jump in on this. Thoughts? Yeah, you know, I think um, I, I agree with Anthony to the point that certainly the commoditization or the consumerization um, all around us has changed a bit people's views of insurance. I think where we see the disconnect, and we, we touched on it to start with, is right now there's not the products in the market um, across the market, mainstream market, that would attract people. If we're dealing in a shared economy, we're um, sharing vehicles, there's fewer vehicles, but I am paying for the value I get for the time I use a car, I think mm-hmm. there's more appetite to that 
then I pay insurance. I'm looking out. I have six feet of snow right now. I'm looking out at a buried car I'm paying insurance on. That's going nowhere. That's not going to have a claim. So I think people, when we start to introduce some of the new products, pay-as-you-drive, um, uh, shared economy, shared vehicles, um, and I start to pay for what I use, I think people will get more connected with the insurance experience. Um, so I think a bit of it really has to go to the products that we have out in the market today, and we're just at the start of offering what I think will be more intriguing products to the general consumer base. Karen, great point. And I have a question for you before I bring Hugh Anderson on this conversation. Karen, are these non-industry insurance competitors offering those more attractive products? Just quickly, what do you see? I see a couple new startups, uh, whether funded by traditional insurers, which I find very interesting, right? Mm, The traditional mm -hmm. insurers know they can't get out of there. They are so much infrastructure. We talked about that agility before. They know they can't overcome that overnight. So they're almost funding some of the new startups that people are saying are going to be competition, but it's actually being funded by some in the insurance industry that know that if they start up fresh, they can really go at this market in a much more direct way. Um, so we've seen some of that happening. So the competition's being actually funded from within our industry for some of the new competitors. They are offering some of the new products. They will come to market. You know, there was just the announcement a week ago. Um, why it was for Uber, and it was the, the company. I think it was um, Mileage, and they were coming up with products that were for companies that were offering solutions such as. Uber was. So there are some that are new. There are other traditional insurers that are able to come up with some of these new solutions themselves. You know, we've talked about certainly for years now, um, the pay-as-you-drive type of programs, you know, Progressive has a snapshot, etc. I think people see a little more value when they can make that more consumer-oriented. And I think that's where traditional insurers have typically gone. But I think it is going to take a bit of the outside. I can't say Google, I can't say Amazon are necessarily bringing these new thoughts to market. It's untraditional insurers. Monsanto. Monsanto is a great example we would think of them as a crop chemical company. Well, uh-huh. they bought an insurance operation, and they're offering crop insurance, and they're paying checks based on having devices in the fields that can automatically detect when there's a drought. Okay, that is a threat to an insurance company who is traditionally in crop insurance. So I think it's not always just from these um, consumer-oriented sites, I think we have mm-hmm. to look at industry in large, and they are impacting our industry. Great. I'm glad we expanded the conversation to different types of products. Hugh Anderson, we've got a lot on the table. Where would you like to join us and come in, anything or everything? Talk to us. Boy, do we have a lot on the table. I, I would oh, agree yeah. with that for sure. Um, I, I, I do think that, um, you know, particularly insurance is maybe a little behind in, in this aspect of the customer experience. Uh, when you think about your own life and, and the the power that your 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 phone your smartphone has or your tablet, and you just can't get along without it, and you expect whoever you're doing business with to to know you and to remember you and to treat you as if uh, you have a relationship, and that's been very difficult for insurance. So it, it does start, Karen, with what with the the products that are defined and, and brought to market quickly. 
uh, but it's also more about um, regardless of what those touch points are across your your buying and your service journey, whether you're working with agents, whether you're doing research online, whether you're uh, dealing with an aggregator, um, processing a bill, a claim, doesn't matter. You expect, even as you work with your banks, for example, uh, you expect them to know you and to tailor not just their products but their service to you. I was at a, an insurer uh, just this past week, and uh, we had many of these conversations around uh, the concept of personalization, of mining what's going on on the websites and um, tailoring responses based on what they can glean from that person who's doing the, the browsing. That, that's one aspect, but I, I still think that that uh, still tends to be an internally focused response to this phenomenon uh, because generally what, what, what you limit yourself to as an insurer is, oh, I'm going to create a, an offer to them based on who I think they are, and it starts to get a little creepy that they, they maybe think okay. they're being trolled. The, the, the opportunity is to not address those uh, touch points from your point of view, but to really get in the mind and the, the patterns the, uh, of the individual or the business that's on the other side of that interaction and tailor everything that you do so that they feel like they know you, they knew you a year ago, and they're going to know you a year from now, and that's what creates loyalty. You know, there's you our know, age you know, of customer. Go ahead, Karen. I was going to say that's our age of customer intimacy. Go ahead, Karen. Yes. It's a great point because when we look at um, an experience you could have, when you talk about that intimate or a relationship rather than a product buy, you know, if I call Marriott and I want to book a hotel room, they greet me by, Hello, Ms. Furtado. How are you today? Not what is your name and phone number. Give me your policy number. (laughs) And and we act like every time we have a customer experience or an interaction, like it's the first time we met them. We're on like 50 first dates. And only after five or six questions, you get to the level of information that you can almost understand who they are and what your relationship is with them. And I think that's where a lot of what you've been talking about, Hugh, is how we connect that customer experience and make it unique, make it intimate, make it a relationship, not just a product buy. Thank you. Anthony O'Donnell, we've got to get you back into this conversation. We've covered a lot of ground since you and I started the roundtable. Go, please. Uh, only, only too happy. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think uh, it, it is about customer experience, and part of the experience is, is product. It's, uh, it's very much about distribution. I, I, don't, I don't want to jump the gun here, but, uh, I mean, I would, I would bring it back to this, this whole kind of secular change we've had in, in, uh, in society that has changed the way business is done. And uh, insurers need to be where the customer is and give customers the kind of experience that they expect. And, you know, we have the front office technology and we have major advances in back office technology uh, to do with, with, uh, with data and the transmission and processing of data, the analysis of data. And I think that a lot of the kinds of product innovations that Karen's talking about will depend on our ability to manipulate data in different ways in the back office. 
Thank you, Anthony. Karen, I want to go in a slightly different direction or basically go backwards into a few more statistics. And I know that you've done some research at Strategy Meets Action. I'm looking at your notes, Karen, and you say SMA predicts that by 2018, which is what, two and a half years from now or or Mm -hmm. 10 minutes from now, the number of struggling insurers will be over 20%. So what are we talking about now? How what the percent is right now compared to that 20 and how bad will it get? Yeah, a great question. We've been, we've been measuring this particular aspect in our industry since 2010, getting a real sentiment. And we, we separate them into four categories. We're looking at insurers that are transforming, those that are growing, those that are sustaining, and those that are surviving. And it's always been a very low surviving percentage. And, and I think people often would, um, predict that surviving really means the financial viability of that company. What are they investing? Oh, they were caught up in all that happened in the stock market, et cetera. Well, we noticed a significant jump in that percentage this year where we're at 11%. And, but we've also seen a squeeze from the top. So if you, if you look at the diagram, you can almost see the number of insurers who are transforming increasing. So we're up to over 34% that are transforming. We're also up to 11% that are struggling. And what we're seeing are, are further and further, we are going to get to this bifurcation of where our industry is, where if you are investing, if you're transforming, if you're innovating, you're leading. But that is the only way you're going to be able to do it. If you're just in, and Hugh mentioned this actually at the very beginning of the, the show, If you're just standing still, if you're just treading water, you are going to fall further and further behind, and therefore you are really going to get into the struggling category. That category is going to increase because we know there are some insurers today that are not investing in the innovative technologies. They're not investing in the new product offerings. They're not investing in their core systems they are falling behind. Those will continue to increase. And I think that that's the big aha that will come out of this is really the bifurcation of our market. We're very used to bell curves. You know, we have mainstreamers, and that's where we are. And that is not going to be the case. We, we see that happening just even over the next couple of years. Thank you, Karen. Hugh Anderson, thoughts on these numbers? Agree, uh, disagree? What do you I think? I love that, that statistic. I, I think that's spot on, Karen. And, um, uh, it, it should be an eye-opener for everybody. Um, you know, when I see that struggling insurers, why are they struggling? Uh, for the reasons you just mentioned, is, is how am I addressing this world that's just changing around me, uh, and the, the demographic that's changing around me, the technology that's moving faster than you know we've ever been able to react to? Um, so if you're not transforming, uh, you are going to fall behind, and, and that's a pretty telling figure. Uh, I guess the question to me is, how do you define transforming? I think a lot of uh, insurers tend to say, uh, if I just get rid of my old systems from 15, 20 years ago, and I replace them with a newer one, I've transformed. You haven't. You're not only still staying the same, you're actually falling behind because some of those kinds of projects take two years. And in two years, you're going to be facing a whole new set of um, influences that are going to mean that you're you're, you're, no, you're no better off than you are. You just have slightly prettier technology. It's important that uh, I think, I love this quote, I don't remember where it came from, you, you can innovate without transforming. You can do innovative things 
but you can't transform unless you innovate. So just building new systems to replace old ones isn't innovative enough to truly keep up with um, the, 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 the realities of today's world. And that number of struggling insurers is going to go higher if that trend doesn't change. Thank you, Hugh. Anthony, talk to us. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to comment on this. I, I couldn't help thinking of Karen's introductory quote where, where we, tend, we tend to uh, overestimate the, the, uh, the change in two years and then, and then underestimate the, the change in, in ten years, if I, if I got that right, that Bill Gates quote. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, we've also talked about the inertia that, that uh, insurance companies have, partly because it's uh, an incestuous little group of people. They all talk to each other. Even the vendors that come from outside the industry start to talk in terms of their customers and uh, they really need to look outside of the industry in, in order to see where society is moving. And I keep thinking of the, uh, the metaphor of the frog in the pot. Now, these insurance companies are very conservative. They don't want to blow their money. And frankly, they've heard a lot of hype about changing technology over the past uh, you know, 10 years or so that I've been reporting on the industry. And I have to say that, that and I'd love to hear uh, Hugh and Karen's response on this, uh, I'm more excited about where the industry is today, and I think that we are we are going to see changes that that uh, are really hard to anticipate because of the the potential of technology today. There is there are going to be really amazing changes happening in society and in commerce over the coming, you know, five to ten to fifteen years, and uh, I mean it's really happening. So I think of the metaphor of the frog in the pot. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but you put the frog in the pot. And you put the you put the pot on to boil, and by the time by the time the frog realizes that it's uh, that it's that he's going to be boiled, it's too late, and I and I think that that's what's happening to the insurers in that eleven percent that Karen's referring to. Thank you, Karen or Hugh. You want to comment back to Anthony, and then I, I need some time to go to another direction in use notes. So uh, go ahead, both of you, quickly. Yeah, I Karen? I, I I love the analogy. Um, <laughs> I do think that's what's happening. I agree with Anthony. This is one of the most exciting times. And I can use the word exciting. I've been in this industry, I hate to say it, but well over 25 years. And I see change happening. Um, And it's being created both within our industry and coming at us from outside the industry. But never more have we ever been in the time of insurance. But change is a foot. Change is constant. And some are reacting. Hugh? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it is a, an exciting time. Um, the, to me, maybe, maybe uh, you know, I've, I'm expecting too much of my industry, but uh, when I look at the, the possibilities of new technology and, and age-old insurance practices, um, I often hear, and this is across all my jobs I've had in the insurance industry, you don't understand we can't do that. or you know, We've always done it a certain way. We have a restrictions because we work with agents or whatever it may be. Um, as I look at it, I'm saying data is so powerful, the subject matter experts of the past two, three, four decades aren't going to work forever. They're going to be replaced by the power of data and predictive capabilities to, to, to change how you measure risk, to change how you price your products, to change how you predict losses. And that all wraps up into kind of breaking down the silos on how insurance is even conducted. That may be a longer-term sort of vision, but um, I do think that these insurers who are going to sur- not only survive but thrive 
have to think about investments in technology differently and go longer. Otherwise, they're, they're just staying the same. Thank you. I want to make this conversation a little more global, and I'm looking at some notes from Hugh Anderson. I'm going to read the statement, and Hugh, I don't think we've covered this part of the conversation yet. You say, interestingly, in some emerging economies around the world, insurers are actually leapfrogging their U.S. insurance counterparts in embracing and implementing end-to-end platforms for insurance as a way of aligning business change with tech advances without having to regularly rip and replace core systems. We've got a lot of yeah. concepts in here. In other words, current traditional U.S. insurers have got 40 years of, of legacy systems, bad documentation, aging everything, and here we are in these emerging economies are saying, yes, we could do it better, faster, and newer. Talk to me, Hugh. Great observation. Yeah, that is true, um, Bonnie, That uh, I, and I don't think it's just me speaking. I think that it's kind of a recognized view of this market, and it's not a knock. It's just a different culture and a different approach um, that the U.S. insurance market uh, does tend to continue to uh, research, uh, invest, buy technology on kind of a best-of-breed or a, on an as-needed basis or a, a departmental level um, but that, that's got to change. I mean, the, many uh, many of these insurers are now either acquiring or have been acquired by global companies, and it is a phenomenon we're seeing around the world. That, uh, particularly in Asia Pac or uh, Australia, even even the Middle East uh, uh, and some of those areas where companies are saying, I, "I don't need a new system. I need a new approach. If I, if I have an underlying business platform, then I can build on that." And as technology changes in two, three, four years, I'm not just replacing one system with another. I'm staying ahead of the curve because I have the foundation built. And I don't have to do it all at once. But uh, I, I do want to create a, an architecture that will survive the, um, the inevitable um, acceleration even of newer technologies and how they're going to change the society and the way in which insurance is bought and sold. So I'd love to see the U.S. market um, take some of that same approach, and not just around a system or two, but just sort of around how do you tie that front office to the, the core operations, to the, to the back office where you're um, measuring and processing and understanding what's on the books and trying to factor that back into how do I now go after customers in a different way. Anthony O'Donnell, I know you want to say something on this. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I've certainly encountered some, some interesting examples in my, in my reporting. I recently uh, interviewed a company called uh, Sura or Suramericana in uh, Medellin, Colombia, and they are completely, they're thinking completely different, uh, differently about how they, they do insurance. They say that they're, they're no longer thinking of themselves as, as uh, exclusively the uh, provider of an indemnity product. They see a complete suite of services, and they, they're a multi-line insurer, but to give you an example, they do auto insurance, and they provide all sorts of, of road-related services to their, to their customers. Another really interesting example uh, from, the, from what we might call the Far East is, uh, is Samsung insurance. Now, Samsung has, has uh, pretty large uh, insurance operations. On the personal line side, uh, they're doing some very interesting things with what you might call just-in-time insurance. A person is walking into a, a ski resort or wherever it might be, and they will suggest 
a, a just-in-time insurance option. It's very much like what Karen was referring to earlier with, uh, you know, she's got her car sitting under six feet of snow. Why does she need to be insuring this? Well, the, the converse is that when an opportunity arises, you can offer a product. I, I think it, it's, it's also interesting to note that uh, here we have a, a, a convergence of industries. Samsung, of course, is known as a, as a mobile device provider. And I think we'll see more of these kinds of uh, synergies between, uh, between different industries to be able to offer innovative products and services uh, in, in, in an insurance vein. Thank you. Karen, you want to wrap this up for me? Yeah, I think it's been very interesting. The U.S. is such a huge insurance market, but it's not the most innovative market. And I have always found, you know, especially over the past few years, we are getting very flat in our view of the markets and that uh, products that are coming out of, uh, you know, this is friend insurance out of Germany where friends will aggregate and invite people into their communities and they will then go get insurance policy for that grouping and they will represent what their lost experience is. Almost the consumer taking on the challenge that I will associate with those that will give good results and therefore my insurance will be less. If we think of even the telematics program, that did not incubate here. You know, that was definitely over in um, over in England. And so there are different programs that I think have always been traditionally sort of uh, rebuffed out of the U.S., that, that not accepted, that's not the way we do business here. And, and I just find that the U.S. has always been slower in adopting. And one can say, yes, it's sometimes our regulatory climate. You know, it, it is sometimes hard to get new products through the system because the laws are there to protect us. But the very people they're trying to protect are the very people who want the change. And so this Mm -hmm. will be the crossroad that we have to deal with here in the U.S. is when regulation is helping and when regulation is hurting us to be the more entrepreneurial type of businesses we want to be. And there's the rub. Hugh Anderson, I have one more item in your notes. I don't think we covered, and I'd like you to comment on it, and then we're going to go quickly into our predictions crystal ball round, starting with Anthony. But, Hugh, you say an aging workforce on top of aging systems is an exponential threat to the status quo in the insurance industry. What are you talking about? Well, if you think about the, the era we're in and um, mm-hmm. the – the intellectual property, the the expertise that's been built up over the decades with actuaries, with underwriters, with law specialists, uh, with pricing analysts, whatever it may be, CPCUs, um, you know, these people aren't going to work forever. And you know, we're certainly seeing that as insurance companies look to their, their basic um, uh, HR function or just how do I manage from that point of view the the uh, the uh, impact of these uh, changes in uh, the growing aging workforce is uh, I need to not only make sure that I don't lose all that intellectual property as uh, my SMEs retire, but that I make my company a place where the younger people who are also buying insurance also want to work. So it's changing not just the way insurance is bought and sold and defined, it's changing the way that insurance companies have to um, define themselves to be an attractive place to, to work and to, to tailor to the, the same requirements that a millennial has to buy insurance is the same requirement they have to be happy in their employment. So when you combine those two, um, intellectual expertise walking out the door, 
systems that have code buried in them that were created some decades ago by the people who are walking out the door and were never documented, and the newer workforce who, um, you know, isn't going to uh, just just take up where they left off. Uh, it, it's kind of like a one plus one equals three. Is uh, it, the forces are coming together to to require innovation and transformation, uh, or you'll see those struggling numbers go higher. Thank you very much. Guess what? We are at the crystal ball segment. We're not going to take a break, panelists. I think you guessed that already. This is just too good to interrupt. That wouldn't be something I'd want to do and because I know some of you are on caffeine, and that just wouldn't be a good fair fight. So we've got about five and a half minutes left. I'm going to divide it equally. I'll give you each 90 seconds for a predictions wrap-up. Anthony O'Donnell at Insurance Innovation Reporter. What do you see in the year 2020 or... What do you see ahead in the crystal ball? 90 seconds. Anthony, go. Well, we have, we have various kinds of remote sensing technology, and we have uh, great uh, analytics that we can apply them to them as well. And these will revolutionize loss control and risk mitigation in, in commercial facilities as a service from, from insurance companies. However, we're going to see something even more interesting, and that's that given that these sensors uh, will become cheaper and more available generally, we will have loss control and risk mitigation for personal lines. And this will, this will mean that the insurer can, if insurers are smart enough to seize the opportunity, become uh, kind of companions in managing the risk that, uh, that their policyholders face in a, much, in a much more intimate and ongoing way than they have in the past. They'll, they'll kind of always be there to the extent that people want them to be as an advisor to monitor their risks, to monitor any hazards developing in their homes or their cars, and uh, they will be able to prevent a lot of losses that would otherwise happen <clears throat> and, and also uh, be, uh, be able to deliver a customer experience that is on par with, with other services and maybe become kind of a premier provider of services. Thank you very much. Karen Furtado, 90 seconds. How far in the future can you predict, Karen? Yeah, we're, we're coming upon a tipping point. Uh, we did some research last year. I will tell you that emerging technologies, for as much as we're talking about their formative state today, within the next three years, over 30% of insurers will be adopting and using, whether it be um, uh, loss control, whether it be how they price their products. But, you know, we have a lot of conversation going on right now about the Internet of Thing, about wearable devices, about driverless cars. They will become our reality in the next three years. Uh, another big thing is going to be the reduction of personalized premium. The reality is there are fewer cars on the road, that if there's fewer cars, there's less insurance for cars. We know that insurers are concerned about that. What will be the next products of the future? Who is going to react to this shared economy? In three years, there will be more and more insurers offering insurance into a shared economy model than we ever could envision today. Low digits today, double-digit growth starting in three years. Remarkable transformation of our industry will happen over the next three years. Thank you for your insights. Hugh Anderson, you're up 90 well, seconds. Exactly. Go ahead. I'll make it easy on you. First of all, I'll mm-hmm. tell you that I, I, I think Karen and Anthony are right on. I agree with everything they said. I, I do believe that we're in an era where uh, everything is about speed, instant gratification and speed. And that's one thing where insurance companies have 
um, have struggled is to react quickly to the changes that are happening around them, uh, and sometimes because of older technology, but just in general because of the way insurance has always been conducted. So as digitalization takes even uh, greater foothold and uh, it's easier to relate the product and the customer and the experience over the lifetime of a customer, their journey, um, the insurance companies that succeed or the new players who, who take the market are going to be those who almost commoditize insurance to be part of a person's uh, everyday life and not something that they just have to use every six or nine months uh, if they get a bill or unfortunately have to file a claim. Uh, to put some fun into insurance and, and uh, be innovative as you possibly can be and, and don't settle for um, just incremental change. Go for the home run. That's provocative fun in the insurance industry. I got to see this. I hope I live long enough. You, Anderson, you are the eternal optimist. I appreciate it. Shout out and thank you. Great thank you to Anthony O'Donnell at Insurance Innovative Innovation Reporter, Karen Furtado at SMA. Give your regards, my regards, please, to Deb Smallwood and everybody else there we know, and Hugh Anderson at SAP. Big shout out to Birgit Dolny at SAP for bringing us this topic and putting together this marvelous panel. And I have some predictions of my own. Let's see, later today, I'll be back at 3 o'clock Eastern Time with an interesting segment of the Internet of Things with Game Changers Radio. We're covering, everybody knows the word mining, mining data, mining big data, mining value-added data. We're talking about the mining industry and Internet of Things. We're talking about Internet of Things revolutionizing the mining industry. Very provocative topic. And next week on Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern, we'll be debuting one of our brand new series called Industry Cloud Trends with Game Changers. That's Tuesday, February 17th. You don't want to miss that one. The week after, we bring you a new series called Business Innovation with Game Changers. And March 3rd, wait for it, wait for it, Game Changing Women comes to SAP Radio. You don't want to miss that. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Here's my call to action. You know what's happening. Fasten your seatbelt, especially if you don't have enough insurance. Fasten that seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Talk to you later on Internet of Things with Game Changers. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.